and we are live. Welcome to Game Breakers, everyone. Your host, Edward, back again this time, riding solo. But you know what time it is, man, because it is time to finally get into some sports talk. We got it all for you today. Basketball, football, more basketball, more football, a sprinkle of NHL hockey. I love it. Basketball is back in full effect. And we're definitely going to talk about what happened last night. You know, just a little synopsis, nothing too crazy. I'm not going to go the whole entire detail of what happened last night. But I'm sure you guys all watched the past two games, Celtics and 76ers, Lakers and Warriors. But before we get into that, though, you know me. We got to start with the, the basics first, at least from what has been occurring so far, which is football. Football has been here. And before we get into anything that happened last night and some predictions, we are back to doing our predictions for NBA nights. Finally, finally, we're going to go back to football and do a recap for week six. All right. And a preview for tomorrow's game between the Saints and the Cardinals. Now, let's start it off with the freaking Cardinals and the Seahawks. So what happened to that game? 9-19 to called the Cardinals to lose that game, which they did. Um... So I had a, a couple points here. Kenneth Walker is blossoming before our very eyes. He is blossoming. Because this guy had a couple of runs on Sunday where you just went, wow. The way he was just breaking off of tackles, the way he was fighting for extra yards. I mean, there was a third down run that he had. And, you know, he, he basically broke like three, four tackles, kept on running, and had a first down. Was insane. Was insane. Now, the defense for the Seahawks did a great job, and I'm surprised because when you look at the Seahawks' defense, it's not that good, obviously. The only person that I really feel on that defense is Tariq Woolen. Maybe Kobe Bryant, the 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 the, uh, the cornerback on the other side of the football. But as far as the defensive line, I think they're doing an okay job of getting some pressure up front, so that's not too bad either. But ultimately, though, don't really feel like I should fear the defense too much. But... Somehow, you hold the Cardinals, who have been struggling all year, once again, they struggle again, to nine points. Nine total points. The pressure was there. Not so much downfield. Tariq Woolen, once again, an interception and a fumble recovery. Murray basically had to make plays the entire game with his legs, which is not a problem. But when you only have that element for your offense working, no running game, nothing downfield, it makes you one-dimensional. And that's what we saw on Sunday. Um, also for the Cardinals, their D-line got some good pressure too. Can't forget about that. I know Juno Smith has been working now and you know doing his thing this season. But this is one of those games where he played well, but there wasn't enough big explosive plays for him to really dissect this time around. It was more so the running game doing the job of that this time around. So it wasn't a bad day for him, but he had some pressure up front too that really halted drives. And on top of that, though, by the way, you know, we go back to the Seahawks offense and we spoke about Kenneth Walker, but I'm not too sure about some of these third down calls. Run up the middle, third and one, you know, we have a dive up the middle. Listen, we saw through spurts in that game of Kenneth Walker being able to use his speed, get to the edge and make a play. So why not be more diversive? Why not? Why not be able to? pitch the ball to Walker in the backfield, let him run, and we can get a first down that way. But the simple running up the, the middle, like 
That's why I have problems with the, the Seahawks offense sometimes. It's too simple. But because Geno Smith has been making that offense much more better than what it should be, and because they have discovered a running game between Rashad Penny when he was healthy and Kenneth Walker, which is why you're seeing these big plays happening. But ultimately, though, let's go to the special teams play. Um, Cardinals make a good special teams play to tackle the punter in the end zone, force a fumble, they're back in the game. But aside from that, though, there was nothing in the game for them. I mean, after that, your defense immediately gives up a touchdown drive. So, you know, for the Seahawks standpoint, they're becoming much more of a team that I thought would be a sluggish type bad team this season. But from what I've seen so far is they're willing to fight for every game, which is a big contrast to what, what I thought the Cardinals would be able to do, even without the big-name receivers that they were missing at that point in time. Now Marquise Brown is gone. They just traded for Robbie Anderson, who we'll talk about later in the game, I mean, in the in the show. But ultimately, though, you have to get back DeAndre Hopkins. Got to. Because this 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 offense is not looking good at all, at all. And they show no courage, no fight. And it's not all their fault because there are some injuries in the team that you really can't overcome. Mind you, they came into this game with only, you know, Benjamin healthy, I believe. There was absolutely no entire running game whatsoever. Whatsoever. You know, you look at the, the stat sheet rushing. They only had they had 28 rushes, which 10 of them were uh Kyler Murray, 15 for Eno Benjamin, and only three for Keontae Ingram. By the way, who I, I I'm sure is was just signed of the practice squad, got elevated to the, the roster that same day, probably, and you know, pretty much didn't have an impact in the game, but they are injured. They have some problems, but right now they're two and four. <laughs> Moving on, Bengals and Saints. So I picked the Saints to win this game, and the freaking Saints let these Bengals off the hook, off the freaking hook. Why? One, I said that the sacks would come from the D-line up front, so no need to compromise your coverage, no need to blitz, and that was the opposite. The D-line didn't get too much pressure up front. You know, Demar Davis had two sacks because he blitzed on some of these sacks, you know? So they really couldn't do anything. And also, by the way, give credit to Joe Burrow. He made a lot of plays in the pocket, being able to extend plays. And when you, just when you thought they had this guy backed up in the backfield, being tackled, he spun away, had a big run for a touchdown to, to you know, pretty much put his team back in reach again. After the Saints were just going crazy on offense. I mean, moving the ball efficiently, running the ball efficiently, which was pretty good. Andy Dalton was being decisive. I loved it. And by the way, this team is also injured as well, too. No Michael Thomas, no Jarvis Landry. I think Chris Olave, I'm not even sure if he played in the game. Um, he probably did not. But they were thrown to guys such as, you know, Traquan Smith and and um, and Jawan Johnson, Marquez Calloway. You know, it's not really too much to work with. Yeah, he, Chris Olave did, did not play in that game. Yeah, so not much to work with. But to their credit... You lean on the running game, which is what I did not expect to happen because I, I do think that the Bengals' front is good enough to stop this front, but obviously did not do that. <laughs> obviously did not, you know, but a couple of points is that we have the early fumble by Taylor on the punt that gets the Saints rolling, so good for them, right? And then we have a little creativity on offense from Taysom Hill, Rashid Wallace, I mean, not Rashid, Rashid Shahid, sorry, on the end of round that pretty much helped their case of just being up by 21 to seven at one point. So it was good for them. But for the Bengals standpoint though, 
it was more of a case of them being able to stop the Saints in the red zone, right? We saw a bend don't break policy from the Bengals defense in that game. Trey Hendrickson, Trey Hendrickson had a terrible roughing the call penalty in that game, um, which was pretty stupid. I just want to call that out. That was pretty dumb. But either way, though, uh, we fast forward to the third quarter, fourth quarter. We see the Bengals making some plays. And by the way, guys, I, you know, going off what I've seen in the past, it's still the same kind of simplistic offense that I've seen. Slants, curl routes, nothing really. I mean, they ran like probably three straight slant routes on the same drive. But for some reason, the Saints had no answer for that. It was crazy. But we fast forward to the end of the game. And um, we have this this short hitch. Not sure. I don't want to say short hitch. I'll say we have like a maybe a 10-yard hitch to Jamar Chase. Breaks one tackle. Breaks another tackle. He's gone. Like, the tackling has to do better. And we've talked about this before in the past. Like, don't forget about a couple of weeks ago before where this team couldn't tackle LaVisca Sanault on 3rd and 15. You know? And he scored a TD on that play. But this team has to do better on tackling. I mean, seriously, you guys are losing so many yards and so many points now because of the inconsistent tackling that is brought forth to this team. I don't understand that at all. For a team that should be well stout on defense, that should be grindy and beasty on defense, that's not good enough at all. It's not. So we move over, and obviously the Saints get the ball back. A questionable no call for a PI, a pass interference on the last throw of the game. I'm not sure if it was, if either the ball was out of reach or the receiver tripped on the, the DB, possibly. I don't know, but there was no call. I thought there should have been a little bit more emphasis on that because that possibly could have changed the title of the game in the Saints' favor, but you never know, though. Saints, I'm still not going to give up on them as far as making the playoffs because I still do believe this defense can still make plays, and the offense is not terrible as it was in the first couple of weeks to the point where it's like, you know, they have nothing going for them. So as long as they have the creativity element to their game plan and you get some players back healthy, Michael Thomas, Chris Olave now, and Jarvis Landry, there should still be something down the line for this team to make a run for the postseason. All right, moving on. Talk to me about the Jags and Colts. So at some point in this game, it felt like the Jags were going to just move away. They were going to pull away from this game. They were going to dominate the game as I thought they would have, and they were just pulling away on the road. But we see that it's tough to beat a team twice. It is. And this is what I want to see from the Jags running game, at least from that standpoint. I love it. Robinson, James Robinson, Travis Etienne, give those guys the ball a dosage of that. Right? Robinson grinding out yards, Etienne home run hitter. Both of them had big plays, big plays in that running game. Big plays. You know, and the other running back, too, I'm, I'm drawing a blank here, but he had a big running uh, play that pretty much took it to the house. Oh, yeah, Hasty, Hasty, yes, Hasty. Had a big running play, big running play, you know, for 61 yards. Um, so I like the emphasis on getting Deion Jackson the ball, who subbed in for Jonathan Taylor when he was out. He caught, he caught a lot of passes out the backfield. Did a good job of running the football. I mean, he scored a, a touchdown that pretty much lowered his shoulder. Look, he looked good on that run as well, too. So did a good job, I must say. Deion Jackson, thank you for helping me in fantasy <laughs> because I needed that. He did his job. He did his job. He gave me a lot of points in that. But let's fast forward. Late in the third quarter, um, here goes Doug Peterson again. Here he goes being aggressive, 
on fourth down. I don't understand why. This team, the Jaguars, to me, are legit. They are. They are legit. Despite them giving up 32, I mean, 34 points, despite them, you know, letting the comeback happen from Matt Ryan, who had a pretty solid game as well, too. He did his job. I mean, this guy threw for 389 yards. And they were just attacking Shaquille Griffin the whole entire game. They, they were touching that, man. Because they're not going to throw it to Tyson Campbell's side. He's a good corner. But Griffin was getting he, – he gave up he gave up the last touchdown of the game, too, to Alec Pierce. But they were just abusing him that entire game. You know? But anyways, moving on, though, right? I thought that Peterson was being a bit too aggressive once again. I mean, if you take the field goal, you're up by five points late in the fourth, right? Up by five. What happens? You go forward on fourth down. Obviously, you don't convert. And then the Colts, what does that do? Give this side more momentum. They go back and they score a TD. Jags, okay, you kind of sort of, you know, give yourself some type of hope, right, by scoring a touchdown yourself. And all you got to do is now get a stop. But the Colts, they're driving for a field goal. And I just wonder if the game plan wink wink would have been different for them driving for a field goal as opposed to a TD if Doug Peterson would have took the freaking field goal early on in the game but you don't do that and either way they are in field goal range but it takes some guts to do what they did anyway I mean Matt Ryan to be able to do that basically fake fake down it and throw the ball to Alec Pierce who beats Griffin that's that's straight guts straight guts who has been a a, a, a a guy that I have been looking to towards of getting the ball more often and just making big plays. Alec Pierce, to me, was going to fill in for that second receiver role behind Michael Pittman, who had a big game as well, too. But took him a little bit of some time to get adjusted. Now it seems to be like he's here, which is good. But he had a big cut touchdown catch, a big catch, a big catch. But for the Jaguar standpoint, I'm not sure, man. I, I just think that Doug Peterson is losing them in these games sometimes. I really do think that. Because he lost the game last week off of being too aggressive in a slugfest where you don't really have to make any mistakes. You have to just play the game out. And maybe, yes, you could be aggressive and make the first big play of the game. But if you don't make the big play of the game, then it's like we're screwed because that could come back to, to bite us, which it did in back-to-back games. I hate it. It's annoying because... As a young QB, you want to build some wins for your team and for your QB's sake. And those are back-to-back losses where I felt like they should have won those games. So it is what it is, but the Colts come back to win that game. Browns and Patriots, damn. I did not see this coming. Bailey Zappi throwing for 300 yards? What? Damn. But before we go into Bailey Zappi, let's talk about Jacoby Brissett. Once again, throwing some stupid picks. Stupid, stupid picks. First pick, throws it into double coverage. Second pick, underthrows Swartz. Third pick, gets hit. It's not really his fault, but still, it looks bad anyway. All right, Brissett is the reason why I called this team to not be a factor early on. And yes, they had a couple of games not break their way. A couple of plays here and there that could have went their way. And maybe they, instead of being, what, two and four, are, are now probably maybe five and one. But this team is not doing well at all. Why? Because they're making too many blunders and too many blown coverages. I mean, to to give up 300 yards passing to Bailey Zappi? 
yo, what the hell? <laughs> the rushing game was there. Don't get me wrong. Ramon J. Stevenson had 76 yards, which is it's still serviceable. But there were too many. I mean, guys, too many blown coverages. It wasn't as if Zappy was throwing these balls in tight coverages, in tight spaces. His receivers probably made like one good catch in the game. Devontae Parker, he had a he had a, a pass thrown to Devontae Parker where he went up and got it, a go up and get a catch. But he was throwing to, for the most part, wide open receivers, bootlegs, and there's not a defender in less than maybe and and three or five yards in vicinity of him. I mean, what is going on? This defense has been trash, trash over the past couple of weeks. Seriously. To, to let the Chargers come in and run the football the way they did last week and to let Bailey Zappi throw for 300 yards against this defense that's filled with playmakers in the secondary like that? Nah, miss me with that. Miss me with that. Okay, and credit the Patriots for giving Bailey Zappi some easier throws to make. But I'm sorry, the Browns defense is, is trash. It sucks. It sucks. And you know Bill Belichick is, is going to find a way to neutralize your running game. You know, the first game of the season where Nick Chubb isn't efficient, Kareem Hunt isn't efficient. However, you want to see something more, something more from this offense, at least to get the, the whole rhythm going. And we saw none of that on Sunday. None of that on Sunday. But I'm just surprised because I, I thought that the Browns, whom I called to win this game, would be able to limit the mistakes, which they didn't, and two, have a game plan of just limiting Billy Zappi and forcing him to lean on the running game, which did not happen. They did the opposite. They leaned on the passing game. Why? Because there were so many blown coverages. I mean, blown coverages to the T. I could count like probably five or six blown coverages that went for big plays in that game. You can't do that. You can't. And it wasn't just that. It was also Billy Zappi playing well, too, because in the first drive, he looked pretty sharp, pretty sharp. I must say. Um, so either way, though, pretty bad. Pretty, pretty bad. But it is what it is, though. It is what it is. All right, moving on. Steelers and Bucks, the biggest upset of the week. Of the week. Damn. How did that happen? Something is wrong with the Bucks offense. Something is wrong with the Bucks offense. And Tom Brady, like, serious, I must say, this guy right here misses Wednesday practice. He apparently allegedly goes to a wedding Friday night. He flies separately from the team to Pittsburgh and has the nerve to be yelling at his offensive line off of one play. I question his leadership sometimes. I, I really do. People say he's the ultimate leader and this and that, but bro, can I really can I really sit here and say that he is being a leader by yelling at his teammates like that? I mean, there's different ways to get your teammates fired up. And I'm not sure if that's working out for them at all. And apparently it's not. It's really not. By the way, Kenny Pickett looked much better. I'm, I I must say, I have to give him his props. Because going up against Sean McDermott is no easy task. You know, um, going up against Todd Bowles is another no easy task. But for the most part, he looked good enough for them to move the football in that game. Surprise. I'm very surprised the Steelers were able to put pressure on Brady as much as they did that entire game. Only had about, what, two sacks. But either way, though, Brady felt uncomfortable in the pocket, moving around, 
And also, the Steelers had an answer for the running game, too. There was no Lenny in that game. No, He came late in the in the fourth quarter to score the touchdown, the big touchdown to bring him within two. But there was no Lenny in that game at all. There was no running game. And whenever they got pushed back into their own half, red zone situation, they stiffened up for a field goal, which is pretty damn good, in my opinion. And it seems as if the Bucks cannot find any rhythm at all as far as just trying to score points in the red zone. Have not been good so far. Have not. You know? So it is what it is, but right out the first half, it's a big return for a special uh, special teams for the Steelers that steps up the, the, the field goal uh, or the touchdown, I believe, uh, in that, that, that half. But either way, once Kenny Pickett goes out, we're thinking, okay, this is probably where the Bucks take control of the game, and this is probably where they harass Trubisky. Wrong. Trubisky saves the day. Trubisky comes in and saves the day. He came in, led the team to a touchdown drive. All right. There was one crucial play in the game. I'm not even going to discount, you know, other plays, but there was one crucial play in the game to me, which was probably the most important. Ball was bobbled. Not really his fault because of the snap count. Ball was bobbled, and he goes and saves it, right? He doesn't save that ball, or he doesn't he doesn't get on that fumble. The Bucks are in field goal range. They have a chance to take the lead. He does just that. Late in the game when they're down by, I believe, what, two points at that point in time. If he misses that ball and someone else recovers on the opposite, uh, on the opposite side, that could be the end of the game. For a team that has been bailed, that's going to get bailed out because they have been playing trash the entire game. That would have been the end of the game for the Steelers. But great play. And also after that, third and 16, third and 11 completes for a, a first down to chase Claypool. Back to back drives. I mean, back to back plays of that. I love it. I love it. That was guts. Really was guts. And still, Trubisky isn't the answer. He will never be the answer for the Steelers. Okay. We know that this is now and will forever be Kenny Pickett's team for this season at least. But for what it's worth, Trubisky came in, did his job, and did a phenomenal job actually of winning the game for the Steelers when all hope seemed lost when their QB went down. So good job by his part. Moving on, Vikings and Dolphins. Both defenses played well in the first half. That's what I'll say. Dolphins did exactly what I needed them to do as far as just keep the game in reach. Skylar Thompson was making plays with his legs. You know, he had a couple of short pat, short drop passes, which is not bad at all. You know, and from the Vikings standpoint, on offense in the first half, three and outs. Three and outs, three and outs. Nothing, nothing. No, no downfield passing, no running game. You know, and if it wasn't for that Vikings defense to get the pressure that they did on the, the Dolphins to keep him in the game, this would have been blown out of proportion, you know, and they struggled early on in the, in the, in the first half. You can see why this team had some questions about them being a dominant team, you know, but they got things going up 10 to three um, off of a tip pick that was forced into coverage by Bridgewater. Okay. Then the Dolphins try a fake in the third quarter. Don't get it. Don't convert. I'm kind of iffy on that call, but it is what it is. Okay. And then, you know, you go up again. You're up 16-3 at this point in time. Bridgewater leads the Dolphins back down to a touchdown drive. Mike Kosicki has two TVs on the day. His little gritty was not the best, but it is what it is. <laughs> you know, 
And just when you thought the Dolphins had some momentum going, down 10 to 16, Bridgewater hits Jalen Water for a long completion. And what happens? He fumbles, which pretty much turns the tide in the Vikings' favor again. And Dalvin Cook ends it. He ends it. Great job. But he had nothing the entire game except for that big play to seal the game. You know, the Dolphins come back and have a little touchdown drive at the end of the game, but it's not really too much that's going to threaten the Vikings at that point in time. So it is what it is. It's a good win for the Vikings on the road, considering the stakes. But I I guess you could say I can still have some type of questions about this team and their 5-1 start. But considering they got a win on the road against a good Dolphins defense, supposedly, right? I, I can cut them some slack here. I can. I can do that. Panthers and Rams. Oh, boy, guys. I mean, I thought this game was going to be run through Cooper Cup again. But surprisingly, we saw some Allen Robinson that day. Allen Robinson TD in the end zone. We saw a couple of Allen Robinson back shoulder grabs. Him getting the ball. Finally. 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 Damn. And this has to be the philosophy going forward. I mean, seriously, it has to be the philosophy going forward. Okay, nothing is fixed right now. Don't get me wrong. This is still a, a, a mediocre football team, and they looked good against a terrible Panthers team, obviously. But this has to be the formula as far as just getting Allen Robinson involved, getting Skronik involved more often, and then Cooper Cup obviously doing his thing and just taking over the game when need be. But you should not be force-feeding the ball to Cooper Cup every single game. It will never work out. These defenses are too smart. The coordinators are too smart to let you beat them off of just Cooper Cup. Nah, not going to happen. But Stafford, though, these blunders have got to stop, man. And it's tough because he's been doing this his, his entire career. But I'm not sure. It, it's costing them points and, and sometimes games. Look at the, the Niners game. Pick six to end the game. This game right here, another pick six. Throws the ball into tight coverage. The Panthers look like they have a chance on the road against the Rams. After firing their head coach, firing the defensive coordinator, and starting P.J. Walker, who had 60 yards in the game. Walker, 60 yards? I mean, what did he do that at? That's, that, that was, that's bad. That's bad. But nothing, nothing. And some spurts of a running game from Christian McCaffrey, who played well in that game. I mean, this guy made a couple of plays out of nothing in that game. But for the most part, though, you can't be making these blunders, Matthew Stafford. You just can't. You know, and for the Panther stake, though, I must say, Robbie Anderson, you see, these were the problems that were sometimes you couldn't really see. If you weren't really a Jets fan, you didn't know about Robbie Anderson. But we all knew. If you were a true Jets fan, you knew that he could sometimes be immature. Can sometimes just show his emotions too much. Right? You know, there was a game where I think we didn't complete the fourth down conversion. And I think it was against the Patriots, actually. It was against the Patriots. And he's, like, slamming his helmet. He's upset. These were the kind of plays where you, you don't really see. Because... We look at a team like the Jets at that time, no one really cared. But Robbie Anson, with his new interim head coach, says some words on the sideline, gets kicked off, goes to the locker room. Not sure what was said, but what I do know is that he's now traded to the Arizona Cardinals. <laughs> so maybe he can help out uh, Calamari in that offense that is struggling. 
But he was never a factor for this team. Was never, to be honest. Robbie Anderson, to me, is a one-trick pony. I'm sorry, but it is what it is. I, I love the guy in New York when he had these big contested catches for a deep shot receiver. But as far as just running in between the numbers and going over the middle and making these contested catches in tight coverage, he was never that guy. Never that guy. So you cannot deny his speed and what he does bring to the table as far as just stress the defense and make people fear his speed. You know, so that's why you have these corners back up in press coverage, back up, play off coverage against him sometimes because he can burn you. But overall, though, he's a he's a decent receiver. He's not the best. He's not, he's not anybody to talk about, if I'm being honest here. But he is not with the Cardinals, though. Uh, let's go on to the Giants and Ravens. Giants, once again, once a, this team, once again, man, just does what they do every single freaking week. They just make the game manageable. Striking distance is still in reach. And when it comes, they come. You know, and, and I, I'm a guy that hates the Giants. I hate watching them play. I hate the fact that Will is a Giants fan. But I must say, though, some good management as far as just trying to stay in reach of the game. And when the big play comes, they take it. When the big chance comes, they take it. Now, look at the entire outlook of the game, right? When Justin Tucker comes out and misses a 56-yard field goal, you kind of know it's going to be a bad day in the office. And that's sad to say because he should be automatic from anywhere he kicks. But it happens. It is what it is. I'm not going to blame him too much on that, obviously. But I thought the Ravens controlled the football game. I thought they moved the football pretty well. I also thought that Daniel Jones was efficient in that football game as well, too. But what do we see? Ravens running game was going. Kenyon Drake was there. Oh, yeah. He look at this guy. No J.K. Dobbins because he had some 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 swelling, I think, or some stiffness or whatever. Kenyon Drake did a good job of trying to get the running game going, which was still there. All right. Um, the Ravens missed a big chance to me to go up 10 early on in the third quarter uh, because Mark Andrews drops a pass. It looked like it was a bit tipped, but still as a top five tight end, you should be catching that. He did catch a touchdown later on in that third quarter or in the fourth quarter, I believe, whatever. But that could have been extra points, right? Could have been. Settle for a field goal. It is what it is. Giants did a great job of answering after the Ravens go up by 10. You know, it's 20 to 17, and we have like about four minutes left. And here comes Lamar Jackson. It looked the entire drive that this team would put the Giants away and run the ball out. But what happens? Illegal formation. Third down and what and and ten or fifteen or a ten I think it's third down and five or, or ten whatever. Bobble snap. Bobble snap. Lamar Jackson, not his fault on that play, but what is his fault was the dumbest throw he made the entire game, the dumbest throw. And guys, I'm over here watching him trying to end the game. I see that play happening, and I'm over here thinking to myself, he's gonna throw this ball out of bounds, right? He should be. Like, he's not going to throw this ball into coverage unless someone is wide open. But he's not going to do that because the play is looking like it's, it's down already. It's looking like they're going, to, they're going to throw the ball away and the Giants are going to get the ball back with some time left. And it's up to your defense to get a stop. But either way, though, you punt the ball back, you force this team to go the length of the field, and you, and you lose the game that way. But not the way you lost the game like that. I mean, Lamar Jackson, what are you doing? He broke every QB rule on that play. <laughs> every QB rule. Rolling to his right, he throws across his body 
into coverage, double coverage at that too. Easy pick for, I believe, Jordan Love. Easy pick. Jordan Love has this big return, set the Giants up in, in field goal range, obviously, but in striking distance for a touchdown. And we see Saquon end the game pretty much. But Lamar Jackson, that was dumb. That was dumb. You know, I, I've, I've given you credit because I, I think that the past couple of games where you guys lost, the Dolphins, the Bills, that was John Harbaugh's fault. That was. But this game right here, at least on the last drive, solely on Lamar Jackson. Solely on Lamar Jackson. You know, that, that to me was dumb. And, you know, KT, Kavon Thibodeau ends it for them. You know, it's, it's nice to see a rookie end of the game, a big play like that for the Giants. So I must say that's a good job by them. They are 5-1, and one, which I would not have seen coming. Still is a good week for football, New York football at least. But damn, the Ravens let these guys off the hook, man. Damn it. Damn. But let's go over to my Jets. I, I mean, hey, hey, hey. What can I say? I got my hands up. You guys can't even see this. I got my hands up. What can I say? What can I say? I said, and I, 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 I did. I picked the Packers to win this game. I did. I'm not going to lie. But off of the road factor, off of what I thought the Packers, the Packers are 10 and 0 after following uh, following a loss. 10 and 0. 10 and 0, guys. 10 and 1 now. <laughs> 10 and 1 now. Yo, what can I say? What can I say? Seriously. All right. The moment. We were playing so well in the first quarter. I knew that we would not get blown out in this game. I just knew, right? And what did I say before uh, this game happened? I said that I want to see my team play some inspiring football and not get blown out. That's what I wanted to happen. But I still kind of expected a loss either way. But we didn't lose this game. Why? Because the defense came to freaking play. Defense came. Let me read you guys some stats. All right. The Jets. Rushed for 30 times, 102 yards, 182 yards, sorry, 182 yards, two TDs, had four sacks, five tackles for a loss, five passes defended. Green Bay was 5-20 and 20 on third and fourth downs, had a field goal block, had a pump block for a TD. What? An overall team effort that you need on the road to win a game like this, especially when you don't have anything going for you in the passing game. Especially that. So give props to Quinton Williams for setting the tone on the defensive line to end because this guy was a factor everywhere, guys. Everywhere. I told, I tweeted this, man. I said Quinton Williams will be a top 10 interior lineman this season. Right now, he's playing like top 5-ish, borderline. He's, he's been playing that good. That good. Sauce Gardner? Can we talk about Sauce Gardner for a second here? Because this guy has been tight in coverage. This guy has let nothing get past him. He is not fooled. He has great hips. He's, he's able to, sw- to, to switch easily. It looks so, so seamless. The fit. It really does. And what did I also say? I said that if we find a way to make the running game an emphasis for targeting and stopping for the Green Bay standpoint, I like to take my chances against their receivers in regards to Alan Lazar, Romeo Dobbs, Randall Cobb, who left with an injury, against my DJ Reed, 
against my Sauce Gardner, my CJ Mosley, my Quan Alexander, my Michael Carter. I mean, seriously, I like my chances, and my chances were were proven right. Were proven right. Brees Hall, stud. Stud. This guy once again has a big game, and we have found an identity that I love. Why? Because, yes, I do know Zach Wilson has not been playing the best. You know, he had a he had a, a, a game-managing game against the Dolphins last week. Didn't do too much. This game didn't play well. I get it. But still is young. And as far as I'm concerned is that as long as we continue to, continue to run the football as well as we do, he can still have time to figure things out. And once he has time to figure things out, he will be even much better. This passing game will get going. It will get going, guys. I'm telling you that right now. It will get going. And when it does get going, this entire offense will be scary. Because if we can run the football as well as we did against the Packers, a top five defense, and sprinkle in some Zach Wilson magic, who has some big plays in that game too, Corey Davis, the big the big play, right? I'm going to be confident. I am. I am. And early prediction. I'm picking us to beat the Broncos too. So you have my prediction right there. Yeah, I'm booking it right now. Booking it. We're going into my high city, Denver, whatever. Broncos country, let's ride, BS. We're going in there and we're touching. We, 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 we're going to have our fingerprints all over that game. All right? Book it here now. But Aaron Rodgers had nothing downfield. Nothing downfield. Okay? We stopped him. He looked bad. He looked trash the entire game. And, yeah, he had a finger injury, a thumb injury. Yeah, so what? It wasn't just a thumb. We had the, the pressure all over him. He had no time to throw, no running game. Aaron Jones did nothing that game. A.J. Dillon did nothing that game. This top five defense could not stop Brees Hall. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Keeping all those receipts. Keeping it all. Moving on. Niners and Falcons. What a fast start for the Falcons, by the way. I mean, they, they make an emphasis that Mariota is going to come out throwing the football, which he did. We have a scoop and score touchdown off of a fumble by Jeff Wilson. Quickly, the game is you're up 14 nothing. And I'm not going to put too much slack on the Niners because, you know, I, I did call them to win this game, but I did not anticipate the Falcons running the football as well as they did on Sunday. They had 168 running yards. That That's insane. You know, defense with injuries or not, that I did not expect that to happen at all. But Niners came back, made a couple of big plays in that game, right? You saw Brandon Ayu come out and have two TDs. But overall, though, the Falcons were too much. Too much. You know, it, it was it was a case of them fighting. We saw a Kyle Pitts TD finally get this guy much more involved. But you could see that the injuries were just too much. Too much to, to, for the Niners to come over, overcome this, and win this game. Which is why I'm, I'm, I'm so surprised that I picked the Niners to win this game anyway. Because on the road, which is not really a big factor anyway against this team. But... You look at the Falcons, and they, they have been doing a good job as far as just management is concerned, similar to the Giants, managing the game, not making the big, big, big mistake, and keeping the game within striking distance. And they also did a good job of running the football as well, too, with this game. So, you know, it is what it is. I thought Jimmy G didn't play well either. He had two bad picks, both in the tight coverage. So he goes from having a, a game, first game back, where it's like, doesn't play well at all, but it's not his fault because he's going up against a top five defense in his first game back. Second game, 
plays a little bit better, but should have had more throws to put the game out of reach. Third game plays much, much better. And then this game comes out and doesn't play well. So a couple of inconsistent performances, but I'm still not going to put too much slack on this team overall because of the amount of injuries that they do have. When they are fully healthy, they are the best team in the NFC West. When they are fully healthy, they have a conversation to be made about them being a contender for a Super Bowl this year. So it is what it is, but they lose on the road against the Falcons. Uh, Eagles and Cowboys. Hmm. What did I say? What, what did I say? All right. All Eagles. Fly Eagles. Fly all Eagles in the first half. Why? Because for all you people that were saying that Cooper Rush should, should be starting, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. He looks good. No. All right. He's been doing his job. Do not take that away from him at all. But this guy has been game managing, guys. Do not get it twisted. For a QB that is put out there to win the game, as opposed to a QB that is put out there to keep the game in reach and to not make the big mistake and to not turn the football over and to make sure the game is is managing. All right? That's what happened. And once again, what did I say? When he will be called upon to make some plays in this game off of playing a good team, he will struggle. All right? Bad picks. Bad picks. A tip pick, all right, in the beginning of the game. Straight Another pick thrown straight to Slay. And then and at, at the end of the game, an underthrown ball, and uh, Gardner Johnson undercuts it. On fourth down, the ball is behind the receiver. So these players are what plays that I'm I'm assuming that a starting QB should make, right? Not a, not a backup. Not a backup. Okay? Dak Prescott, to me, has a better chance of making those throws than he does which is why Dak is the starter, which is why. But anyways, as far as this game is concerned, what happened? What happened? The Eagles come out blazing, 20 nothing at halftime. The running game was going. The passing game was going. But the Cowboys, I give them credit. Why? Because the Eagles, and we talked about this before the game happened, the Eagles could not go away from the run. And what did they do in the first uh, minutes of the third quarter go away from the run at all. I mean, they went away from that run game. A lot of three and outs, you know, quick pass here and here, incomplete pass, and then we see maybe a run for three yards. But ultimately, though, the Cowboys were able to stop that. And you saw this is why the comeback started to happen because you were doing not what was working in the first half, which was passing the football. Running the ball was working in the first half. And we saw the Cowboys have an emphasis of running the football in the second half. These guys were making a case for themselves, grinding out yards. Zeke came to life. Tony Pollard was here and there, right? And that's what fueled this this Cowboys comeback because passing the ball in this game would play right into their hands, which it did in the third quarter. But finally... Once you go back to what was working in the third quarter, I mean, in the first half, which was running the football, Miles Sanders here and there, 10-yard gains here and there. And then we get into the red zone. We have a touchdown pass to Devonta Smith. That was what was working for you. So I don't understand. Like, you have to have a game plan where it's consistent enough for you guys to work it out in the game and to win off of that way. But you can't go off of what has been working for you in that game. Just can't. Just cannot do that. All right? But either way, though, 
The Cowboys, I think it was a resilient performance despite the loss. I think that they'll be okay because of that coming back. Now, I'm not going to give him, you know, too much slack if he plays bad, or I'm not going to give him too much hope off of coming off of an injury right then and there, right? But what I will say is that now that you have your starting QB back and he gets some more games under his belt, some more reps under his belt, he gets hit in a real game situation, okay, when they play again on Thanksgiving, this should be a much different matchup. It should be. It should be. Bills and Chiefs. Pat Mahomes, Josh Allen. Bills win this game 24-20. to 20. Tony Romo called it. Yes, he did. Um, but what happened in this game, I'll tell you what happened. The defense, which I did, and I think that people who watch football should know that the defense of the Bills would be able to cause some problems that would help them edge out this victory. And what happened? Von Miller is a big factor. This is why you paid him the big bucks to come into these big games and make some big plays. The pressure of Mahomes was evident because of Von Miller, in my opinion. I mean, there was one play where Mahomes was scrambling, 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 scrambling. This guy is running and running and running. And it, it looks, it appears, it seems to be as if he's going to get the first down. But Von Miller tackles him. He gains like two yards, and it's a third down stop. Didn't get the sack, but because of his hustle, that's why the Chiefs were able to punt the football and the Bills were able to go down the field, score a TD. The Chiefs, the last drive of the game, Von Miller is the one who pressured him. Von Miller, yes. And then Pat Mahomes throws a pick to Teron Johnson. Von Miller is a difference maker, guys. Don't get it twisted. He, You should know that by now. But we know that Pat Mahomes, Josh Allen would make plays in this game. Pat Mahomes, I thought he had a, a kind of an ill-advised throw in the end zone. Um, at some point in time, right, you can't be doing all these these different moves to try and make plays, right? Cut your losses and and get the points. But that throw in the end zone that was picked off was was not a good decision at all. The Bills got some breaks that didn't go their way. The fumble in the first quarter that was pitched to, uh, I forget who it was, but that was fumbled. Um, they were aggressive that whole entire game going for it on fourth down. I, I get it, but I don't get it because you do have Pat Mahomes on the other sideline. But if you don't score points here, there's also a strong possibility. I, I say a strong possibility of Pat Mahomes going the other way. It's going a TD. So, um, and I also want to welcome back Harrison Bucker because he did miss a field goal in that game. But for what it's worth, he is their main kicker. And also on top of that, he did make a long field goal in that game too. And you look at the kicking woes that they have endured the past couple of weeks hasn't been great, but hasn't been bad either. We see why Butker is the, the main guy. He makes the kicks that are needed in this game, which he did. All right. Um, but either way though, what we see is that the bills are now the standard. They beat the Pat, the, 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 the chiefs on the road. They are now the standard, unfortunately, because they are in my division. My, they're in my division. You know, it is what it is, but Pat Mahomes, will probably have to now go into Buffalo if need be and win the Super Bowl through Buffalo because I don't know if it's going to happen where it's going to go through Kansas City again. But what we do know is that when we see these two guys play, Brady and Manning type of vibes, but more flashy, more more running, <laughs> much more playmaking ability, not more of a typical stand-in-the-pocket type QB. It's much more fun to watch. Much more fun to watch. And I also will give credit to the, the, the Chiefs because giving up 24 points is still a lot, but giving it up to Josh Allen is, is a good win for me. 
that they played good enough for them to win that football game. So I, I give him credit, but you see, Josh Allen is such a freaking nature. I mean, he 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 hurdles a, a defender on, I believe, a first down run or a third, second down run. I forget what it was, but hurdles a defender again, again. This guy is a freak of nature. Respectfully, damn, damn, it's so annoying to watch. But either way, though, it is what it is. Broncos and Chargers. Broncos and Chargers. Okay. So, Monday Night Football, right? We see the Broncos and Chargers. And I called the Chargers to win this game narrowly. I said 21-17. But I, I must say the Broncos did look much better in the first half. Much better. We saw more decisiveness. We saw a big play to KJ Hamler. We saw Russell Wilson coming out the pocket, making some big throws. This guy had 173 yards at halftime and finished the game with 188 yards, guys. 188 yards. What the hell happened? What the hell happened? And I bet on that game, too, for him to get 200 yards at least. Will my guy bet on 250? And I, I texted him in the game. I'm like, yo, he's going to get the 250 probably easily at this point in time. This guy finishes with 15 more yards in the entire game. OT included, guys. OT included. This team sucks. I'm sorry. I am sorry. This team sucks. Because there was one point in the game, right? There's one stat in the game which we are not seeing as much. How is it that this Chargers team, we know, pundits know, fans should know, the Chargers know themselves. They cannot stop the freaking run. They can't stop it. And what happens? The Broncos only run for 23 carries the entire game? No Melvin Gordon? What is going on? That is the least amount of carries given to the running backs as a whole against this Chargers defense the entire season. Aside from the Chiefs, one, who are not a pa- who are not a running team anyway, and two, the first game of the season, the Raiders, so I'm not going to really count. But every other game aside from those two games, you've seen teams Punish this team on the ground. Why didn't the Broncos do that? Why? And here's where I question coaching once again. Because it's a matter problem that they can't win. They cannot win. All right? And I know that Javante Williams is out. But you, you're telling me that Melvin Gordon can't be serviceable enough to keep the game honest? Yo, what is that? I say, I say, I hate that. Seriously, I hate that. Say, I, I just despise that, guys. Because you had them in an in a aspect where they are weak. They are struggling. They are still struggling from last year. And you did not take advantage of that. I would be fuming. Fuming if I was a Broncos fan. You know? But anyways, the Chargers, though, we saw that, you know, they wouldn't have anything downfield either. The Broncos defense is pretty good. Pretty damn good. Mike Williams was locked up all day by Patrick Sertan. Locked up the entire day. Didn't have anything downfield. Nothing. Okay? No running game either. And by the way, Baron Browning, guys, know the name. This guy was all over the field that night. All over the field. I'm, this guy had a sack, tackle for loss, pressure, QB hit. He was all over the field. All right? And and a guy who was filling in for Randy Gregory, he might be taking his spot. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> because he's been that good. He's been that good. 
But I, I just I, I'm just surprised by the Broncos who were playing so well in the first half and let it slip away. And in OT, we see that both teams can't really muster anything until a crucial play in the game. Special teams. Um PJ Locke bumps into his 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 um punt returner, Washington. And you know, doesn't see the fair catch, doesn't hear the fair catch behind him. He's blocking. And I don't know that there was a big communication miscommunication on that play itself. Uh, but either way, though, it is what it is. That's how they, that's how they lose the game. It sucks because Dustin Hopkins makes the field goal, who has been hurt the entire game, by the way. But he made every field goal. So credit to him because he was the best player of the game, in my opinion, considering the stakes. Had a had an injury to his kicking leg at that, too. So good job by him. But the Broncos, man, you know, this is why I'm picking the Jets to win this game on Sunday. And I will be shocked if we lose this game. I'm sorry. I will be shocked because I, I, I don't see anything happening. I really don't. I don't see anything from the Broncos standpoint where I, I am fearing. I'm fearing. Sorry. I don't fear anything from the Broncos standpoint. I don't fear anything at all, guys, except from the defense, obviously. But the offensive standpoint, I don't fear anything at all. So we should be coming into Denver, Mile High City, and 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 destroying these boys. Just saying. Just saying. All right, guys. Let's preview tonight's or tomorrow's game. Sorry. We have the Cardinals and the Saints. The Saints are pretty banged up. Pretty banged up, traveling on the road. If you can recall that one episode we had where the Saints had this, we had the topic about the Saints and trying to, to win this this a bird gauntlet, you know, the Eagles, the Cardinals, the Falcons, twice the Seahawks. But I'm going to go with the Cardinals here because even though the Cardinals have looked trash the entire season, I think that with the amount of injuries that, that the Saints have, I'm not too confident, you know. And the defense has also let up some big players in this, this game. Now, if the defense comes up to, comes up in this game and they show up and they play some good football as far as just creating some some pressure up front, right? Then it's like, okay, I can see how they can beat them because they can follow the same philosophy of what the Seahawks did last game, create the pressure there, and then we can see how they can win that game on the road. But I'm not sure because I, they, they don't have any receiver that, that really gets me going as far as just trying to make an argument for for them beating one-on-one coverage. And on top of that, the defense for the Cardinals is not bad. It's, it's, it's okay enough, you know. It's good enough. The running game for the Saints should be an emphasis in that game. So we should still see a dosage of Alvin Kamara just running the football, basically being what he was, and also having some carries to um, Mark Ingram as well too. But as far as I'm concerned, the Saints don't really do well as far as just containing running QBs and trying to stop Kyler Murray and Jalen Hurts type guys. So I'm going to go with the goal. I'm going to go with the Cardinals here, but I'm going to go Cardinals 24-21. Yeah, 24-21. Um, but if they do come out in the first half and start struggling again, then I'll probably lean towards Saints. But either way, I, I can't change my pick anyway. So <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, but that's it for that preview right there. Both two and four teams. And to me, though, by the way, this right here is a make or break it for the Saints because I have more confidence in the Saints winning this game. No, sorry. Yeah, I have more confidence in the Saints making the playoffs, but they need to win this game. It's a must-win game for them. 
if you don't win this game on the road, despite it is the Cardinals running QB Kyler Murray, you need to win this game because this will dispel any chances of trying to make the postseason for me if they lose this game. But I- I'm calling the Cardinals to win this game because of the amount of injuries that the Saints have. So it is what it is. All right, guys, before we go into basketball, some disturbing news. James Booknight. Ah, man, this guy was arrested uh, two days ago, I believe. Apparently, he hit two police cars before his arrest for impaired driving. He was found in the car, passed out, intoxicated, obviously, and also had a Glock on his hand. He had a freaking gun on, on his lap. Sorry, not on his hand, on his lap. Either way, regardless of what people may say about Book Knight and his character and, you know, having the law of, you know, being able to have a permit for guns and whatnot protection because he is a millionaire, it's still a bad look. Still very much a bad look. All right. You hit two cars. Apparently, you were arrested for having this bad look. Okay. We cannot discount that you being impaired or being intoxicated and having a gun on your lap and you being passed out is, is a bad look. It's a bad look. A, a really bad look. And, and you know what's funny and know what's sad? I like James Booknight. I really do. I think he's going to be a good player for them in the future. And he didn't really get too much um, playing time for this young, by the way, young Carolina team, not Carolina, Charlotte team. But either way, though, I thought that he would be a guy that would have something for them in the future as far as just another scoring option, but it's not looking too good for him right now. Let's see what happens as far as just more information coming out about this case. But either way though, guys, we have to know that it's a bad look. It's a bad look indeed. All right. NBA, NBA, NBA time. Yes. Last night, Celtics and 76ers, Lakers and Warriors. So, you know, as I said before, We're not going to go through every stat and every play of the game. There's too much because there's too many games in the NBA season for me to do that. So I'm going to give you the the, the star performer for last night, which was obviously Steph Curry. But for me, though, I'm going to sit here and say that the star performer for the Warriors was none other than, I'm joking, Steph Curry. It was Steph Curry again. Um, You know, he, he, he played a great game. He really did. He really did. You know, and, and a guy that has has made some big plays and carried his team in some big moments last season comes out again blazing. Um, this has a lot. This Warriors team, once again, looks stout. It looks deep. It looks unstoppable at times. And when you have everything flowing for you and you get back James Wiseman, who made a, a good cameo to 8.7 boards, I, I think that he's going to be able to push – Kavan Looney for that starting role, possibly in the future, but he had a good night as well, too. 7.6 boards. You know, I like this team a lot. I really do. And you can see that there is some chemistry there. Once again, there is some cohesion that's going to be hard to really stop on the defensive end. But ultimately, though, good job for them. From the Lakers standpoint, LeBron James, near triple-double, also said after the game that this team is not a three-point shooting team, basically. Um, I have the words right here. He said that we're not a, a team that's constructed of great shooting. It's not like we're sitting here with a lot of lasers on our team, which is true. It's very true because they don't. They shot last night, dare I say it, 
25% from the three. Overall, the box score right here. Tick, 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 tick. I'm, I'm, I lost it, but yeah. 25% is not good either way. It's not. It's not. All right. And oh, yeah, 10 for 40. 10, 10 for 40, which is pretty bad. Yeah. You can't win a game by shooting that that poorly from the three-point line. But we all knew this coming into the season, that this would not be a, a great three-point shooting team. It would not. And it still would not be. So they have to find ways. It's up to Darwin Ham to find ways to uh, devise a scheme where they can still be effective and be a dominant as opposed to shooting the three-point ball. Because it's evident that they will not win games that way. Of course, you're going to have a, a night where you're going to be raining threes and looking good. But ultimately, though, this will not be a three-point team moving forward. But for what it's worth, we still have a lot of new pieces. Patrick Beverly, Lonnie Walker, who struggled in this game. Kendrick Nunn is going to come back. He didn't really have too much as far as just playing time last year because of his injury. Um, but LeBron James looks good. Anthony Davis looked good. Russell Westbrook looked good as well, too. He looked really good in this game. Uh, moving on, Celtics and 76ers for the first matchup. 76ers kind of struggled a bit in that game early on and then took a lead in the game. Surprising. Very, very, very surprising, I must say. Uh, but from the Celtics standpoint, I mean, obviously, the star performer, Jason Tatum, looking good again, looking really good again, right? He, he does his thing. Um, and also had another guy, Jalen Brown, 35 points again. Both of these guys are star performers for me from tonight's or last night's game. Um, and by the way, they're going to have some big production and big minutes from a guy named Malcolm Brogdon off the bench, unfortunately. 16 points, 7 of 11 shooting, not too bad as well. Um, from the 76ers standpoint, though, I, I must say, Joel Embiid had his night, did his thing, 26 points, 15 boards, but James Harden, though. James Harden, a near triple-double, 35 points, eight boards, seven assists. This guy was everything for them last night. And if they can find a way to continue that and get his production going in that stance of him being effective and running the offense and being much more of a factor this time around, they're going to be a hard team to beat. But we'll see what happens, though. We'll see what happens. Good matchup for both games, at least at least from seeing the Warriors play dominantly and we seeing a good game for the 76ers and the Celtics. But let's get into our predictions for tonight's matchups. Yes, 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 yes. Let's start it off with the Magic and Pistons. You know what? Give me the Pistons at home. Wizards and Pacers, I'll go I'll go Wizards in the close one. Rockets and Hawks, I'll go Hawks at home. Uh, Pelicans and Nets, Nets are home for this one. I'll go Nets. It's going to be a close one, though, for me. Heat and Bulls. You know I'm going with the Heat, man. No Zach Levine tonight either for the Bulls. No Oladipo for the Heat, but it's not a bigger loss for them than it is for us. So going for the Heat. Um, Cavaliers and Raptors. You know, I'm going to go with the Cavaliers on the road here, actually. Um, the Raptors are actually favored in this game, but I'm going to go with the Cavaliers. Knicks and Grizzlies. I'll go with the Grizzlies in the close one. Thunder and Timberwolves. I'll go Timberwolves. Hornets and Spurs. Hmm. This is pretty even. And for the better odds, it's even too. But I'm going to go with the Hornets here on this one. No, actually, sorry. I'll go with the Spurs. I'm changing it. I'm going with the Spurs. Nola Mello Ball. The Spurs have an influx of guards on this team. I'm very interested in seeing what they're going to do for this opening night. So I'll go Spurs here. Nuggets and Jazz. I'll definitely go Nuggets here. Jamal Murray is back. 
Michael Porter is back. Let's see how that tandem works out with Nikola Jokic. Jokic. I want to say Jokic. Jokic, my guy, Nikola Jokic from the Heat. Nikola Jokic. Mavericks and Suns. ESPN matchup. I like this. Give me the Suns to open it up tonight. Give me the Suns. Trailblazers and Kings to end it all off. Let's go with the Trailblazers here, obviously, because I like the Blazers. Even though the Kings are favored in this game, surprisingly. But, guys... That's all I have for today. Be sure to check out some more game clips from Game Breakers. You know, wait and see for that Twitter post I'm going to put up there for, you know, the podcast reasons and just the snippets of what was occurring in this podcast, this episode. But anyways, Will should be back on Friday, so we'll get that going. We'll have some more debates and some more fun and some more loud and talking and whatnot. But everyone stay safe. Keep on supporting the brand Game Breakers, and we are out.